We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. And when we say God glorified, what we mean is that we exist for the purpose of seeing God receive praise, worship, honor, glory, credit, and fame. We believe that he is due. And so we want to spend our lives, our words, everything pointing back to Jesus. Right? It's why when you come here, we say our one desire is that when you leave here, that you'll marvel at Jesus more. that we chose the name Emmaus, the vision of our church is that we want to be a people who declare who Jesus is from all of the scriptures, that we talk about him, we proclaim him here in this pulpit, we do it in our kids ministry, through our songs, through our confessions, through the scriptures that we read, we do it with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with our children at home, that we are a people who declare who Jesus is and that as Jesus is being declared. Hearts are burning with the truth of who he is and eyes are being opened to believe it and there's faith being planted in the hearts of men and women. We want to see this transformation take place in people all across our city. That's what we're about. That's what we will spend ourselves on as long as God sees fit to leave a church called Emmaus in existence. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. And finally, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to, being, to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Morning, Emmaus. My name is Adam Sanders. I'm one of the pastors here. 
visitors. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet to stop by our connect table, we'd love to uh, kind of connect with you there, get a chance to get some of your information, hear your story a little bit, and uh, give you a free gift as well. And uh, we're thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, as far as members go, man, we love you guys so much. Thank you so much for just the care and the joy it is to be a part of this body. Um, a couple of announcements before we get started this morning. Uh, community group, this is a good time. If there's anyone in the room right now who isn't part of a community group, uh, here at Emmaus, this is kind of our go-to uh, mode in which we seek to care for each other, disciple each other, uh, press further into uh, the gospel with each other. So if you're not a part of a community group yet, please make that a priority today. Stop by our connect table as well and uh, ask about where you can kind of get plugged in to see where you can go with that. Um, another thing on Wednesday, August 1st, we have an awesome fall coming up and uh, we're going to be launching a series of classes this fall that are going to give us an opportunity, I think, to just grow together and individually. Uh, so August 1st, this online sign up for that is going to be coming out. We have everything from Theology 101, uh, Gospel-Centered Parenting, uh, and even uh, how to read the Bible. So space is going to be limited on those just based on how many chairs in the room we can fit in. So uh, if you're interested in that, jump on that as quick as possible. And we're really excited to get that going with you. Uh, also, women's mentoring and men's retreat are going to be coming this fall too. So a lot of opportunities to get plugged in. Uh, last thing in that regard, uh, Risa is heading up our outreach uh, here in North Kansas City this year. And we have an awesome opportunity. Uh, there's no, no Risa. She is a teacher at North Kansas City School Systems. And we have a group of families that are going to be her students this year, actually, that we're going to be spending the year kind of getting to minister to and getting to know better. And so we've got a, several activities and kind of events planned around that. But that's actually kickstarting right now. So we're going to be doing a back-to-school drive in which you guys have a chance to bless these families uh, who are here as refugees in North Kansas City. And so next week, she'll have a box. There's an Amazon link, which her will be, uh, I apologize, I should know this, but it'll be posted somewhere. So you can check that out. And uh, on that Amazon link, you can buy whatever's on there. Or if not, you can just go to Target or Walmart or wherever and go crazy and buy whatever you want. So. The more school supplies, the better. So all of these are going to be opportunities coming up for uh, us to kind of get plugged in this fall that I'm excited about. Uh, for those of you who have been journeying, journeying with us, you know we're in the midst of our residency series right now. In fact, this is our last week in doing this. Uh, here at Emmaus, we have a pastoral residency. Uh, and that really, if you want to hear more about our heart behind that, you really should take the time. Go back and listen. Three weeks ago, Pastor Ronnie preached a sermon in which he set the tone why we do the residency. But in short, here at Emmaus, our goal is not for you to like us, think we're cool, but we want you to come here and come face to face with Jesus Christ. And we want you to love him more. And we want to not only be a part of that here in North Kansas City, but across the state, across this country and around the world. And for us, the way to do that is by planting healthy churches. And in order to plant healthy churches, we need faithful men who will preach and lead those churches. And so in response to that, we do the residency. Part of that is faithfully preaching the word of God. And uh, so all of our residents were able to preach in the spring. And as far as this residency series, we've chose three that we really felt would bless you and uh, what we wanted you as a body to hear. So today, our brother who's going to be bringing the word is Matt and I dig. Uh, I was told I can only take five minutes and I thought I'd probably need at least 20 to properly even scratch the surface of how much I love and appreciate Matt and I dig. But uh, in short, 
Matt has just been a faithful brother ever since he walked through the doors of Emmaus. Uh, in fact, seeing nodding heads, I know he has blessed many of you so much. Uh, just from a personal standpoint, this man has stopped in the midst of his busy schedule and prayed with me, uh, regardless of what he was doing. Um, you constantly see him behind the scenes serving others. Uh, there's not a task that's too low for Matt to do. There's not a person that's not good enough for Matt to love. And uh, he is a blessing to all of us here. So we're thrilled for you to open up the word for us this morning, brother. So let's pray for him and uh, we'll hear from the word today. God, we love you. We thank you, Father, for bringing us together, Lord, this body of people by the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you for your spirit who even now is working among us, Lord. And we pray that this morning as your word is opened up, that the Holy Spirit would move in us, Lord, convicting us of sin, turning our hearts and affections to you, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as your word is preached, Lord, that you would move in power. Lord, we thank you for Matt and his faithfulness in work and study and discipling others. And Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to hear him open your word. Pray that you would remove nerves from him. Lord, give him confidence in your word. Give him joy as he proclaims it. And Lord, I pray that we would all love you more as a result. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Miss. Man, thanks, Adam. So kind. First Corinthians, if you're not there already. Let's go. Guys, I what a privilege to be here. I I love you guys. <laughs> and I love this word. This this book right here. And guys, I get to be the mediator between this book and you guys this morning. That's my privilege. I hope our short time together this morning can, can help us do a couple things. Take our eyes off of down here, ourselves, even each other, our circumstances. Maybe it's been a crazy morning for you. Our jobs, even our, our skills, our giftedness. Take our eyes off of all of that and lift our eyes to Jesus. Our, our scandalous Savior. He was mocked and he was meek. And he redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. He was, he was seen as scandalous in his day and outdated in our day. I want, us, I want us to lift our eyes to him and consider this gospel. Consider how... No matter what kind of position you're in, work-wise, school-wise, whether you're in a prominent position or you maybe work the shift that nobody else wants, or you're mediocrely in between, how many of us are there? Whatever position you're in, guys, we all are hungry and thirsty and shaky, and we cling equally to the same cross. We cling equally to the same Jesus for the bread for our souls, for the well that never runs dry. We all, we all cling equally to that. Here's the title of this message. Christ, the one who divides and the one who unifies. 
Christ, the one who divides and the one who unifies. That's what our pastor is talking about today. So Mike, last week, talked about unity as well, right? Unity in the gospel. Brother, thank you for that message. Uh, Ephesians 4, right? So he's walking through the kind of the middle of that chapter. Verse 11, God gave us leaders who have gifts, who, verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In verse 13, he finishes with this, so we all may attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of the Son of God, the gospel, right? And Mike finished like, remind, remind each other of this, this gospel. So if Mike said that, what we're getting into this morning is, what about that gospel unifies us? What about it? What's so crazy about it that it would unite all of us together? This passage talks about that. So here's, here's a summary sentence for this message. Boast not in the wisdom and power of this world, but in the wisdom, a.k.a. folly, and the power, a.k.a. weakness, of the cross. Unity is there. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, humble us and unite us, even now. Come in power. Help me to be faithful to your word, be clear in Christ. Amen. So 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and they had a few different issues, right? Their main one, at least the the first one that he addresses a couple times, even in the first three chapters, is this idea of, of disunity, of division. If we look back up in verse 11, here in chapter one, we see this. They're divided over, lining up behind different apostles. Here he says in verse 11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is this. Each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. So he has two responses to this. One is the next verse. He says, is Christ divided? A.K.A., Don't you know that all these guys are on the same team? Right? He says later in chapter 3, I planted the gospel seed. Apollos, this other guy you're lining up behind, he watered it, the same one, and it was God who gave the growth. And he, God, gets all the credit. Stop lining up behind us. So that's the first response he has. The second response is here, starting in verse 18. He's about to say, you've you've gotten your dividing lines all wrong. There is a dividing line, actually, when it comes to the kingdom of God. And it's not along the sides of whoever you're lining up behind, but it's over something different. And he's going to say, actually, church at Corinth, you, you have a thousand reasons not to be divided, but to be unified. Because of this cross. And Emmaus, same thing. You have a thousand reasons not to be divided, but to be unified on this cross and this gospel. 
So maybe your favorite theologian can beat up my favorite theologian. But they both spend their whole lives making much of Christ. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Right? So let's think through this. What are maybe some ways, maybe it's not malicious, what are some ways in which we have some division? That we maybe compare ourselves. Comparison. Maybe it's your intellect. Maybe you love how fast you can read. Or how quickly you can pick up really complicated ideas. Maybe it's your giftedness. You love how you can speak more eloquently than other people. You love how you can play. You love how you can serve better than anyone. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not super gifted here, but oh, just wait. Just wait till my resume lands on your desk. Here's my business card. Then you'll know who I am. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's not, you know, I, I feel so good when I compare myself to the person next to me. But maybe you, maybe you shrink in despair. When you think about the person next to you even, you get disappointed. When you think about your intellect, you feel weird even calling it intellect because of how low it feels, because of how low it seems. When you think about your giftedness, you can only think about your inadequacy, how much you struggle in the Christian life, and how much you struggle to articulate your struggle. That's what comes to mind for you. When you think about your job or your lack thereof, Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe, maybe you stay at home and you care for your children. And you, you realize that your resume isn't going to drop the jaw of any potential employer. Unless it's dropping their jaws to how un unimpressive it is, right? Maybe you even wonder the significance of, of your daily life, your daily grind. Changing diapers, clean up messes, chasing kids around. It's exhausting. It's the same every single day. If you have any of these thoughts on either side, guys, I have good news for you. And it's this. Don't look to what is seen. Don't look to what is seen. The dividing line of the kingdom lies not in the realm of earthly comparison, but it lies along with this on how you respond to the message of Christ crucified. That's where the dividing line lines. That's where it lies. On how you respond to the gospel. How you respond to the scandalous message. Now let's look at this. Verse 18 through 25. Let's be our first section. We're going to see here three ways in which the message of Christ crucified is categorically Opposed, it's out of step with the wisdom of the world, how the world operates. We're going to look at three ways. And also, how the message of Christ crucified is, is better than the wisdom of the world. So here's number one it saves. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So notice two things about 
these couple of verses. The first one, notice how Paul, he puts himself in the category, the same category as, as all the guys who were wanting to follow him, right? He says, to us who are being saved, that's you and that's me, we're all saved. Your dividing lines are all wrong. We're in the same category, man. See what else he says. See how, see how he grounds his case in scripture. Let's learn from this. He quotes the Old Testament. Isaiah 29. Here's what was going on then. The leadership of Jerusalem, they were faced with the impending danger of neighboring countries. Their neighbors did not like them, Israel. So the Assyrians were coming in, and they they decided to not trust in God, who, by the way, had a perfect track record of protecting them. Decided not to trust in God, but to trust in the wisdom of the world, which said, hey, make allies. And guess what happened? They were destroyed. They were wise according to worldly standards, but they missed the point. They didn't have a hard understanding of who God was. And it led to their downfall. Now Paul takes this idea, that's why he quotes this here, and he goes to the heart of the issue. He says, throw away these surface level divisions that you have, and let's get to the root. What's really going on here? You see, the root issue in the world isn't that people are lining up behind the wrong people, or that you aren't smart or savvy enough. That's not your root problem. Your root problem is sin. There are a lot of problems that Christ could have dealt with when he came here on earth. He didn't choose to deal with global warming or world hunger, huge problems. He chose to deal with sin. And the message of the cross, the message of Christ crucified, is a piece of news about how your sin has been dealt with. It says in bold font, here's what it says. You are a sinner, and you are fundamentally and thoroughly bent on rebellion against God. That's what it says, big banner. But here's what it also says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, just like you. That's the word of the cross. Isn't that good? That's the word of the cross. That God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is great news. This is the power of God to those who are being saved. That we are a mess. And Christ is the mop. That we are totally ruined in our sin. And Christ totally remakes us new. Now, if you hear this, that you're thoroughly and fundamentally bent on running from God, that all you bring to God is your need, if you hear that and that sounds insensitive or outlandish, guys, you're pushing away the very diagnosis that Jesus saves from. You're pushing away the cure itself. So don't do that. Don't run away from this. Run to the cross. Come and embrace Christ. 
So that's the first way, which the word of the cross is opposed to worldly wisdom. That's number one. It saves. It saves us. Number two, it's wisdom. It's true wisdom. Verse 20. So the Greeks, the Gentiles, they loved wisdom. A little bit of context here. They, they loved those who could navigate their way through society, win themselves success in life, know how to bring honor. They would esteem other people who had high positions. They were all about this. So Christ crucified to them was a picture not of a great philosopher who had shown them kind of the secret key to success in life. But Christ crucified was a picture of a man who renounced his own heavenly power, who exchanged his crown of glory for a crown of shame, voluntarily went to the cross to be crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's how Peter describes it in Acts 2. So he actively invited the kind of death that shouted shame, dishonor, failure. This was ridiculous to the wisdom-loving Greeks. They thought it was stupid. They thought it was dumb. They thought it was foolish. And Paul's saying, your self-made version of wisdom is foolish. Your love for it, actually, is a hindrance to you embracing the very Christ who was crucified for you. So look not to the wisdom of the world that looks to status, that looks to position. Look not to that, but look to this kind of wisdom, to wisdom that you will know to be wise in 10,000 years. The wisdom of knowing Christ, knowing God, longing for heaven, to be with God and be known by him. Paul's saying, he who preferences the next 80 years over the next 80,000, he's a fool. That's what Paul's saying. Look not to things that are seen. And God planned it this way, right? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God planned that salvation from sin would come not through climbing a ladder to him, but by recognizing our inability to climb the ladder at all due to our deadness of sin. And he says this, you're laying at the bottom of the ladder, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, have faith in Jesus to scoop you up from our deadness and sin. And he scoops us up by becoming dead for us. This is Christ crucified. Christ dying on behalf of us so that our hearts might be made alive in him. Paul's saying, this is true wisdom. Guys, this is true wisdom. This is true wisdom. Now let's go back to verse 20. Who is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debate of sage? It almost reads like taunting, right? Like Paul's writing like this. 
like a victor of a great battle. That's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, after worldly wisdom has been dealt with by the cross, what do you have left? What do you have left? The actual wisdom of God is Christ. We see that in verse 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God because he has actually dealt with our actual sin. So what do you have, scribe? Debater of this age? What do you have? Boast not in the wisdom and power of this world, but boast in the wisdom, aka folly, and the power, aka weakness, of the cross. That's what Paul's saying here. So speaking of power, here's the third way. We've talked about two ways in which the word of the cross is opposed to the wisdom of the world. Number one was it saves us. Number two is it's true wisdom. And number three is it's true power. He also talks about this in 20, verse 20 through 25. So we talked about the Gentiles and how they, they loved wisdom, right? Now, the Jews, they loved miracles. They loved signs. They were always begging Jesus to do more miracles. You might remember Matthew 12, where Jesus he heals and casts out the demon out of this guy who, who is demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And Jesus, like, fully restores him. And the Pharisees, like, 15 verses later, are like, teacher, do us a sign. For Jews, demand signs. That's what he's talking about. They weren't just looking for someone who could do this trickery. They were looking for uh, like a military leader who would come and save them. They would deliver them from the Roman tyranny. Right? They would totally upend the Roman oppression. That's what they were looking for. <laughs> and so when Jesus came, born in a trough, lives a humble life, and then ends his life not by upending the Roman tyranny like they thought he would, but by voluntarily giving his life up and being killed by that very tyranny? Picture that. Picture what this would look like to a Jew. <sighs> Foolishness. That's what it looks like through the lens of worldly wisdom. But wait, not only did it just look like weakness, foolishness to them, it looked like a curse to them. Here's what the cross looked like to Jewish people who knew their Bible. They knew the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 21 says this. I'll just read it. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is to be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, and his body shall not remain there all night on the tree but you shall bury him the same day. For a cursed, for a hangman, sorry, a hangman is cursed by God. That's Deuteronomy. A hangman is cursed by God. So Jesus, on the cross, on a tree, cursed by God. Why would we follow that guy? So the Jews are saying, why on earth would we follow the cursed guy? 
And Paul's saying, your only hope is to follow the cursed guy. That's the point here. That's your only hope. So see the powerful working of God here. The power to to save us from judgment. The power to, to make a dead man alive. We sang this. The power to to make a slave bound by chains and sin, brought into the family of God, seated at the feast table of God. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. It can do those things, and it does it. And it's, it's only by faith And it's through faith alone that you can be saved by this power. So believe. If you don't believe in Christ, believe in this Christ. Believe in his perfect life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection. This is what faith in Jesus means. Believing That Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, can make you new. That he can actually break the chains of slavery and bring you into his family. So believe. Believe on him. So those who think in the minds of the world, this is a summary of what we've seen so far. Those who think in the way of the world look to self-advancement. They look to maybe speculative philosophies, look to positions of conquering power, self-promotion. That's the way of the world. Look for miracles. And this is reasonably attractive, right? Like this is what the world is looking for so you can make it in the world if you're doing these things. But Paul's saying here, don't put your eggs in that basket Don't rely on that. You're a fool if you do. You will die. And those who think in the mindset of heaven look with full hope and a big smile of satisfaction on Christ. Born in a lowly place, rejected, often went hungry, had no place to lay his head. He was rejected by those who he served was treated to the most disgraceful execution of the day. Seen as a failure and a curse, weak, embodied, shame and dishonor. We believe in that guy. We rest on that guy, that Christ, this Christ, he's living. So here's a quote, Stephen Sharnock. Maybe you haven't heard of him. He's a old dead guy. But man, listen to this. He said this a long time ago. Death is made the way to life. Shame the path to glory. The weakness of the cross is the reparation of man. And the creature is made wise by the foolishness of preaching. Fallen man grows rich by the poverty of the redeemer. And man is filled by the emptiness of God. The heir of hell made a son of God 
by God's taking upon him the form of a servant. The Son of Man, us, advances to the highest degree of honor by the Son of God becoming of no reputation. This is the paradox of the Christian life. This is godly wisdom. Try to wrap your mind around this. I mean, it's awesome to like feel just the brunt of this here in this passage. Like, whoa. But like, go home and, and, and spend time really trying to wrap your mind around this. Be wowed even more. I'm just scratching the surface here. I'm just scratching the surface. Go home and, and pour into this. Your mind will be blown. So here's, here's my paraphrase of this passage, because Paul uses quite a bit of rhetoric here. So I'm going to go ahead and read a paraphrase. I want you to follow along in your Bible. A paraphrase. I'm going to read 18 through 25, and I'm going to keep going 26 through 31, and we're going to jump into our second half here. It'll be shorter than the first half. Don't worry. Verse 18. For the proclamation of Christ crucified is put off as folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is treasured as the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the self-proclaimed wisdom of the self-made wise, and the self-proclaimed discernment of the self-made discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who calls himself wise? Where is the legal expert scribe? Where is the best rhetorician of the day? For God has shown to be foolish the self-proclaimed wisdom of the world. For since in the actual wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its self-proclaimed wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, through what is seen to be folly, namely what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand vain signs, and Greeks seek self-made wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is seen as a stumbling block by the Jews and rejected as folly by the Gentiles. But the, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the actual power of God and the actual wisdom of God. For the perceived foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the perceived weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful according to worldly standards. Not many of you were of noble birth according to worldly standards. But God chose those things that are seen as foolish in the world in order to shame those things which are self-proclaimed to be wise. God chose those who are seen as weak in the world in order to shame those who are deceived and thinking they are strong. God chose those who are perceived to be low and despised in the eyes of the world, even those who are seen as nothing in the eyes of the world, to bring to actual nothing those who are mistakenly seen as something so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us actual wisdom from God, actual righteousness, and actual sanctification, and actual redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. So in 18 through 25, we see Christ as the great divider, right? Wisdom of the world, message of the cross, here in 26 to 31, Christ is the great unifier. Let's keep going. He mentions the main characteristic of the people of God 
is those who are totally bankrupt in the area of self-promotion. When they look inside for the best version of themselves, they get discouraged. When they compare themselves to the guy next, sitting next to them, it's their inadequacies that come to mind, not their strengths. When they look at their five-year plan, their palms get sweaty. When they look at their 401k, they have a frown. They get nervous. They're never going to get picked for the next TED Talk or Nobel Prize. This is the people of God. This is the people of God. God is saying, that's the whole point. Give me those people. Give me those who are bankrupt in this area of self-promotion and self-boasting and self-reliance. These are the characteristics of my people. Come to me, all you who are weak and not noble and needy and forgetful and out of ideas on how to fix your life. Come to me and I will give you rest. Don't try to latch on to other people for your identity. Latch on to me. Your hands are already empty, which is perfect for my kingdom. I embrace empty-handed children. Your cup's already empty, which is perfect because I fill it to the brim with my gospel goodness. You must come hungry because I have a feast prepared for you. My child, I have a crown for you, free of charge. Feast, free of charge. This is also a warning to those of us who are of noble birth, who are esteemed by the world, who are powerful, successful, well-educated. He says, be watchful. Christ said for good reason that it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it hard? because your hands are already full of other things that can be used for self-promotion. And the rich man has more things to drop to have empty hands to come to Christ. That's why it's hard. So if that's you, drop them. Or be watchful that you don't pick them up and hold them. And cling to them. Because if you do... You're going to stand before God with full hands. And you're going to find out that you're mistaken. As God embraces all his empty-handed children. And you're there with, with full hands. Standing before the Father. So throw it away. Throw it all away. Embrace Christ. You won't be disappointed. You'll be delighted in You won't be excluded from the kingdom of God. You'll be embraced by Jesus. You won't be shoved to the side. You'll be scooped up by his grace. And use those things. Use those resources that he's given you here to further this message of the cross. Use it all. Use it all for his kingdom. Be free to use it all without holding on to it. This is what God has been doing since the beginning of time, embracing empty-handed people. Listen to this. We're going to start from the beginning. Genesis. Abel, younger than Cain, 
God accepts his sacrifice in faith. God chose 99-year-old Abraham to be the father. (laughs) You're like, that's pretty well beyond the window, the physiological window, right, for having kids. You're right. God chose him to be the father of many nations. Jacob, younger than Esau, chosen to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Speaking of Israel, all right, let's make a list of the most powerful and prominent countries in the ancient world and then scroll all the way to the bottom and we'll find Israel. God chose them. He says this, Deuteronomy 7, it was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers. The Lord has brought you out of Egypt. (laughs) That's why he chose Israel. But wait, it gets better. Moses, chosen, had a speech impediment. What was he chosen to do? Speak for God. (laughs) David, youngest of all the sons of Jesse, sinned to tend the sheep. And he's raised up as the forerunner king to King Jesus. And Jesus, in his grand mission, starting the church, spends his entire ministry pouring into 12 flaky fishermen. Flaky guys. But these guys, when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, became bold witnesses of this message. And now we join the club. (laughs) You don't join the Hall of Fame. You join the Hall of Need. That's what Paul's saying here. Come on board. The list is growing. This is the great leveler, the great equalizer, the great unifier. The message of the cross. Christ crucified. Remember our summary sentence. Boast not in the wisdom and power of this world, but in the wisdom, a.k.a. folly, and the strength, a.k.a. weakness, of the cross. Unity is found there. I mean, how much more room is there for comparison when you were chosen precisely because you were weak. Christ, Paul's like, I boast all the more gladly in my weakness. That's how I got here. We're a group of fools who've embraced the fullest message that Christ is our wisdom. We're a group of weaklings who've embraced the weak message that Christ is our actual strength. We're a group of nothings who've embraced the nothing message, that Christ is our actual substance. So here we are, people of God, having nothing with which to self-promote and having everything in Christ. Oh, verse 30 is where he says this. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who gave you everything, You've been given wisdom in place of folly. You've been given righteousness, the being accepted status before God. You've been given sanctification. You belong now to the people of God, being made like Christ more and more. You've been given redemption, total redemption, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So be free to boast. Verse 31, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. He's like, this is the only proper response to what I've been talking about here. That's the only proper response. And as we boast in the cross, we are united together as people of God. Unite together as brothers and sisters, free from comparison, free from competition, free from climbing over one another in order to be seen by the Father. He sees us all in the lowly place. So be free to boast only in the gift. Be free to boast in the generous giver that we have in our Father. And one way that we do this every week, one way that we boast in the cross, we boast in our need, is by taking communion. The bread represents, as we, as we break it, we remember that Christ was broken for our sin. We've been saved by a Christ who was broken for us. As we drink the juice, we remember and boast in the fact that it's only through being cleansed by the blood of Christ that we can be made new. So we do this here by coming down to your right, take some bread, dip it in the juice. We have gluten-free over here as well. And go back up to your left. So guys, remember this even now. Join me as we all together boast in the message of the cross. So come on. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.